if I told you my story, you would hear hope and let go. And if I told you my story, you would hear love and gave up. And if I told you my story, you would hear love. But it wasn't mine If I should speak Then let it be Of the grace that is greater who are still joining us. We hear the wonderful noise of the children in the foyer. They are going to be marching through with palm branches in just a little bit, so you can look forward to that. It's ridiculously adorable. And now we'd like to welcome um, our Compass Care Pregnancy Services Director. Good morning. Uh, My name is Daniel Tomlinson. I have the honor of serving at an organization called uh, Compass Care Pregnancy Services that uh, this church supports. And thank you so much for for having me this morning. I just want to give a a brief uh, overview of of what Compass Care does and a a recent uh, story from from uh, one of our patients that came through most recently. Um, Before I jump into what Compass Care does, I just want to touch on uh, the problem that Compass Care is working to eradicate. Uh, some of you may know this, but in uh, New York State is the abortion capital of the U.S. There are more abortions in New York State than in any other state in the Union. And in, um, in Monroe County, where Compass Care is based, uh, there uh, we consider Monroe County an abortion hub, meaning women come from the surrounding areas to Monroe County to receive uh, their abortions. 
There are more abortionists in Monroe County than some states will have in their entire state. 2,500, 2,500 abortions occur in Monroe County on an annual basis. Uh, that's 20% of all pregnancies. One out of five pregnancies end in abortion in Monroe County. Uh, Compass Care is a nonprofit, a medical service organization based in Rochester, New York. Uh, our, our mission is to erase the need for abortion by transforming a woman's fear into confidence. And we say that fear into confidence because it is the fear of the unknown that is driving these women to get abortions. It's, it's what's my boyfriend going to say? What are my parents going to do? What about school? What about finances? Uh, and it's this overwhelming coercive power that is, that is pushing them that they feel like they have no choice. I have no choice. I need to get an abortion. And what Compass Care does is come alongside these young women with ethical medical services and comprehensive support to give them a, a vision of their future after having had a child. What will your life look like if you carry this pregnancy to term? Uh, and, and helping them uh, work through all the implications of that from um, financial aid, material assistance, counseling, um, insurance, uh, child care, everything that she needs so that she can kind of step back from, from, from this and just think about what her decision will be. Uh, there are three main services that we provide uh, for the women. It's the pregnancy, we call it the pregnancy platform, which is uh, basically what I just described there um, with uh, medical services and ultrasound to humanize uh, the, the life of the child inside their womb. Um, and uh, STD testing and treatment platform and also a, a, more, a newer platform, abortion pill reversal. I don't know if anybody here has heard of the fact that um, if a woman uh, begins a medical abortion and changes her mind, we're able to... Uh, and catch her within a 72-hour window, we can reverse the effects of that medical abortion and, and sustain the pregnancy and save that child. Uh, just to give you a quick, a quick story, we'll, uh, a, young, a young girl by the name of uh, Jillian came in in early January. She had uh, started a medical abortion and had changed her mind and had tried to, um, was looking to reverse the effects of it. She came into Compass Care uh, 24 hours after having started the medical abortion and uh, wanted to go through uh, the, the treatment and therapy for um, reversing the effects of that drug. She just had her last appointment this past week and um, her, her baby is doing well. Uh, she was able to, uh, we were able to sustain the pregnancy. The baby is growing, developing as, as it should be. Uh, but not only that, but she and her mom, uh, who had been coming in with her on a regular basis, uh, prayed to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior when presented with the gospel. Uh, so far uh, this year, uh, Compass Care has seen 30 lives saved, uh, January and February, um, uh, 30 lives saved from women that came into Compass Care planning on getting an abortion and left deciding to carry their babies to term. Uh, and we've seen uh, 10 women pray to receive Christ as, as their Lord and Savior. So it's, uh, it's exciting to see how God is using uh, this ministry to, to reach women in, the, in a very vulnerable state and to help them to... Uh, to think through the implications of, of their decision in regards to the, the life of their preborn uh, boy or girl that they have growing inside of them. And, and thank you so much to, uh, to you, Houghton Wesleyan, for your support of this ministry, for your prayers and um, uh, generosity towards, towards the ministry. So thank you so much. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together and the children come through with their palm branches.
Through this season of Lent, we come with hesitant steps and uncertain motives to sweep out the corners where sin has accumulated and uncover the ways we have strayed from your truth. We pray that you would expose the empty and barren places where we don't allow you to enter. Reveal our half-hearted struggles where we have been indifferent to the suffering of others. Nurture the faint stirrings of new life where your spirit has begun to grow. Let your healing light transform us into the image of your Son. For you alone can bring new life and make us whole. Amen. I see the King of glory Coming on the clouds with fire, the whole earth shakes, the whole earth shakes. I see his love and mercy washing over all our sin. The people sing, the people sing. Hosanna in 
scripture this morning comes from Matthew 21. Now that Amanda has you back in your seats, will you please stand with me for the reading of the gospel? I'm sorry, Andrew. We just like to go up and down on Sunday. That's, that's part of it. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. 
A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. This is the word of the Lord. Before you sit down, I don't want to make you have to stand up again. Take a minute and uh, say a word, share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. When someone asks me if I like surprises, my answer typically is that depends. Right? If, if a surprise is, um, is that you're going to give me a gift that I've wanted, then I like those kinds of surprises. If uh, the surprise is that you know, my favorite team wins, uh, wins some games in the basketball tournament, then that's a great surprise. I love that surprise. We like surprises that are that get us things that we want. You know, we we're happy about the surprise of maybe the diagnosis wasn't quite as bad as the doctor may have thought. Or we had a chance to to interact with a friend we hadn't seen for years, didn't know that they were we were going to be at the same event, and uh, we had a chance to connect. There's some great surprises in life, but as we all know, there are some surprises we'd rather avoid. Sometimes the, the diagnosis is worse than we thought. Sometimes um, people do things that we couldn't have imagined they would do. Sometimes um, people we care about go in, down paths that burden us. And we're shocked that people would make those decisions. Life is full of surprises. Good and bad. What we like when we don't like. And I think we have the same kind of mindset about how God tends to surprise us. One of the things I discover as I read the scriptures, as I think about my own life, read about other people's lives, talk to people, is that God loves to surprise us. God loves to work in our lives in ways that we don't expect. And I think that's because the unexpected ways in which God speaks to us, the unexpected ways in which God has a word for us, are a way of revealing what's going on in our hearts. We can make all kinds of declarations about God and about our allegiance to Him, our desire to follow Him. But when it comes down to those moments that God speaks to us in ways that we'd rather avoid, He speaks to us through people we can't imagine... In those moments, the reality, the truth about our hearts is revealed. Are we really open to God or not? And those surprising moments and those surprising words have a way of of peeling back the layers and getting to what's really going on in our hearts. 
And I think there is something of that going on here in Jerusalem as Jesus comes into the city. He's been avoiding Jerusalem most of his adult life. He, the few times he does come to Jerusalem, he just sort of sneaks into town and sneaks out. No, no big fanfare. But now the end is drawing near and he knows that. John tells us he set his face toward Jerusalem because now is the time. And he comes into Jerusalem in a way that reveals who he really is. This is not something that just sort of happens. They are sitting, he and the disciples are sitting around and the disciples say, Ooh, Jesus, it would be really cool if you rode in on this donkey. No, this is Jesus' word. Jesus has this idea. He has to tell them what to do. He plans it. He prepares it. Because in this moment, he is making this public declaration of who he is. He is the king. He's the one that they've been waiting for. And some of the people recognize that. They lay down the palm branches in honor of him. They cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are the one who saves. And we know that. And we're proclaiming that. But Jesus doesn't just stop with exerting his kingly authority as he rides into town. He goes to the temple. And he, and he clears out the temple. And there are a couple things going on there. One is that, you know, everybody is Passover time. So you've got pilgrims coming from all over Israel and the world to come and, and be in Jerusalem during the Passover. The city just teeming with people. And they come to sacrifice. And it's difficult to bring a lamb with you, much less more than one, animals to sacrifice if you have to walk 50 or 100 miles or you have to get on a boat to travel and so, in a, in a, as a means of helping the people, the, um, the, the leaders of the temple have their own animals. And they have them there for people. So you can come and buy one of their animals. And you can use that to sacrifice. And the Old Testament said the priests had to, had to look at the animals, inspect them, and all of them had to be without defect. They had to be perfect animals. You can't be bringing out the, you know, this, the scraggly mangy ones that you don't want anyway. We're not taking those. They have to be the best animals. And so they bring them and the priests inspect them. And if they're not up to, up to standards, they reject it. What the, dip, the hard thing is, the uh, unfortunate thing is that, that it's clicked into somebody's mind that we have all these pilgrims coming to buy animals. If we raise the animals, say the priests, and we sell them, and we make sure that the only animals that are going to be sacrificed are the ones that we sell, we can jack up the prices and make a lot of money off of this. And that's exactly what they're doing. And so Jesus says, you cannot take advantage of people in the name of worshiping God. And so he turns over the tables. And the other thing going on here is that in the temple, there are different sections. And the, the, the smallest, most confined section is the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest can go into that once a year. And the next layer of room, next room is where the priests can go. And the next room is where Jewish men can go. And the next room is Jewish women. And finally you get to the outer court. And that's reserved, that's for the Gentiles. The Gentiles can't go any further than that. And all of this market, these animals and these money changers and all of this is going on is set up right in the court of the Gentiles. This place where the Gentiles, the only place where the Gentiles can come and worship God and pray to God. And that's why Jesus says, you've made this a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. If you've ever been in an open air market, where there are animals present, you know it is not conducive to prayer. And Jesus says, this is not what worship is about. I think probably they set up there because for a lot of them, we don't care about the Gentiles. It doesn't matter to us if the Gentiles pray, come to God, worship. They're not important to us because we don't think they're important to God. So it doesn't make any difference. And Jesus sends a clear message that's not true. And so Jesus is declaring himself the king, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, the one in the line of David. And as the king, the king gets to do what the king wants to do. That's the authority of the king. And Jesus, as the king, comes in ways and speaks in ways that are totally unexpected to everybody involved in the story. He honors children he condemns the religious elite who uh, are trying to take advantage of other people. And everything about this whole story, from the minute Jesus enters Jerusalem 
to the time that he leaves the temple, leaves the temple and goes back to Bethany is ex- unexpected event after unexpected event. And as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking to myself, God does love to work in unexpected ways. And the question for me and for you is, are we open to that? What if God wants to speak to us through someone that we respect? Someone that is teaching us? Someone that we're in a really close relationship with? We'll say, sure, that's great. I'm glad to hear that from you. But what if the roles are reversed? What if somebody we're teaching has a word from God for us? What if somebody we don't respect has a word from God for us? What if somebody who has a completely different perspective about politics or theology or or ideology of how the world should operate or how they live their lives? What if God wanted to speak through them to us? Would we be willing to hear it? Now, it doesn't mean that we agree with these people. In fact, we may completely disagree with the choices they're making in their lives and, and, the, and the way that they see God in the world. But so did many of the people in Jerusalem when Jesus appears. And yet, God can speak to us through anyone, at any time, in any circumstance. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God can speak to us through the difficult times of life? Through our failures and our struggles of what some people would call the dark night of the soul. Do we believe that in those moments that we want to avoid, God can speak into our lives? I think one of the reasons that God does that, speaks in those ways so often, is because he needs to get our attention. Sometimes the only way we'll listen is if something different comes at us. Isn't it fascinating when you see the two people groups in this story? You have the people group, some of the people who accept Jesus, worship him. And you have the other group of people who reject Jesus and eventually put him on a cross. And the two groups are not what we would expect. We would expect the people who are most religious, the people who know the most about scripture, who have learned the most about God, the people who have all the advantages of life we would think they would be the ones who are most sensitive to God. But they're not. They're the ones rejecting Jesus. It's the lame and the blind and the children and the outcasts. They're the ones who see Jesus for who he is. And I think it's because they realize the great need of their lives and... What do they have to hang on to? If we think about how we live our lives, whatever, wherever you might be on the journey with Christ, whether you've started or down, not started or down the road a long ways, can we believe that God speaks to us, has a word for us, in a way that we wouldn't expect? I think there are, I think it takes a certain mindset to to hear that word from God. I think it's a mindset of trust. We have to be at the place where we really believe that God does indeed speak to us through all kinds of people and all kinds of circumstances and through experiences and relationships and encounters that Typically, we would say, God couldn't have anything to say to me through that. Do we believe that God can speak to us through any of those moments? Do we believe that God can speak to us through our disappointments, our struggles? I I can't speak for you, but for me, I want to avoid those times. I want to avoid hard times in life. I want to avoid struggles. I want to avoid disappointments. I don't want life to have those things. 
But we live in a world, a fallen world with fallen people, and stuff happens. So can we believe that in the middle of that, God can speak to us? I think you find through the centuries that people will say it was in those darkest, most difficult moments that I sensed God at work. God spoke into my heart. And maybe, maybe it's because we have, we're at such a vulnerable place that what else do we have? When life is easy, when life is going along as we want it to, when we feel like we've got life under control, we are much less apt to have our ears attentive to the things that God wants to say to us. Do we believe that God can speak to us in those kinds of circumstances and through people that, quite frankly, we could never dream possible? God could say something. But I'm convinced that we'll never have that spirit of trust unless we have underneath it a spirit of gratitude. That we somehow come to the place of thanking God for speaking to us in every moment of life. That God allows people into our lives that might be difficult for us because he has something to say to us. That God might allow circumstances into our lives because he wants to speak to us through them and there's no other way. We are grateful that God cares enough about us. He doesn't just leave us as we are. God's design for creating us, the design of Christ in us, is to make us flourish. And so often, we're willing to settle. You know, we're just willing to to let life be kind of bland and on the surface, as long as I can control it and I don't have to deal with anything hard. God has so much more for us than that. He wants us to know the fullness of who he is. He wants us to live lives that flourish in his grace. But the only way that will happen is if we keep opening our hearts to his grace. So we ought to wake up every morning saying, Lord, thank you for all the ways you're going to speak into my life today. Things that I might expect and things that I couldn't dream or imagine. Because we're grateful that God doesn't leave us in the status quo. But he keeps nudging us and prodding us and poking us. Not because he he wants to make us uncomfortable, but because he has so much more he wants us to experience. When we are so often willing to just settle. But underneath that spirit of gratitude is a heart of humility. I think that's really where it all comes back to, is having a heart of humility. We've come to the place where we recognize that we haven't arrived. That there's always more of God that we need. There's always more of Christ in us that we need. There's so much further that we can go. And it's in that spirit of neediness and humility that we are open to God speaking to us. You look at the two groups of people in Jerusalem. The reason the children and the, and the outcasts and the lame and the, and the blind are open to Jesus is because they recognize they have needs. What, there's no pretense there. They're not trying to hide anything. They're not trying to keep anything away from people. They're not trying to hang on to anything because they have nothing to hang on to. They recognize that they, they have need. And what identifies the folks who reject Jesus, is that they can't imagine they really have any need. They figured it out. They're on top of it. They aren't like those people. They've got everything anyone could want. They've got wealth and power and influence. I mean, they, they, they're the ones who are, who, are, who are making the pacts with the Romans. They're the ones who are keeping things going. They've got it figured out. Why would I need to listen to God? Particularly from people 
like that. It's for that very reason that they end up putting Jesus on a cross. They know they know it all. But there's no humble spirit and they miss it. And a lot of us know a lot. And a lot of us are raised in the church. A lot of us understand the scriptures. A lot of us, you know, we we devote ourselves to spiritual disciplines. And it's awesome and we should. But we are susceptible to being like these folks who know it all. And in the culture that we live in where we have so much, we are so blessed. It is difficult sometimes to pull back and realize just how needy we are. And until we recognize how needy we are, our ears will be closed. Particularly closed to the unexpected ways in which God speaks to us. It's really about recognizing that we need God's grace in our lives. Craig Barnes says it's a dangerous thing when God comes looking for us in His grace. We think that God's grace is is basically coming over to us and patting us on the head and saying, now, now, sweetheart, it's okay. You know, don't worry about it. Don't, we, won't, we just won't talk about that. We won't think about that. We'll just, we'll just pretend that never happened. Everything's okay. Now, even though the grace of God is about compassion and patience and, and sensitivity, it is also about hounding us and chasing us and getting in our faces and confronting us. Why? Because grace always wants more for us than we want for ourselves. And while we're perfectly content so often to just live our lives settled, this is good enough. It's not that great, but it's good enough. God wants so much more for us. He wants us to flourish as his children. Do we live with that kind of open spirit? That if God wants to speak to us through the most unlikely person, in the most unlikely circumstances, at the most unlikely time, we'll hear it. Because whatever God says, whatever God wants to do, we want it. So think for a moment about a person Maybe a group of people. Maybe a a circumstance of life. And if you're honest, you'd find it really difficult to think that God could speak to you through that. And we're going to take just a few moments of silence to ponder that. And if we're able to say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, But if you want to speak to me through that person, through that circumstance, through that situation, at that time, I want to hear it. Because I want everything that you want from me. Father, thank you for wanting more for us than we want for ourselves. Help us to trust you with hearts of gratitude and a spirit of humility and neediness. 
Lord, if that person, that circumstance, that time, you have something to say, give us ears to hear. In the grace of Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to spend a little bit more time praying together, not just for ourselves, but for others. As we do so, maybe maybe you want to pray for something related to yourself. Maybe you want to pray for something else in the world, a friend, family member. If you want to come and kneel at the altar as we pray together, please come and join me. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us, speaking into our lives and shaping us into your image. This morning we come not only praying for ourselves, but for others. We think about people who are grieving today. Whatever stage the grief may be, whatever the reason for the grief, we pray your comforting presence upon everyone who is struggling with grief and loss. We pray, Father, for all who are wrestling with health concerns. We think especially today of Barb Rangel, Bill Duzema, Bob Jobert, and Rich Reynolds, Calvin and Laurel Buker, Warren Woolsey, Bill Getty, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, for Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, and Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, others who may be on our hearts today. Bring your healing grace to each one. We pray, Father, for the ministries of our church, and we thank you for specifically the ministry of the greeters, people who come early and welcome us and are an encouraging word to us, and we thank you for their ministry. We pray for the churches around us and Specifically, the Short Track United Methodist Church and Pastor Gary. Continue to bless them as they worship together, as they interact with each other and their community and beyond. Pour out your spirit in their lives. Father, we thank you for uh, the ministry of your church in a wider circle. And we pray for Compass Care. Thank you for the the work they're doing in in helping women be released from uh, fear and live in confidence. Help them to to bear witness of your grace and your love and to help help bring an end to the need for abortions. We pray, Father, that you will will use them in Monroe County and even beyond. Father, we think about our our greater nation and the people of Flint, Michigan and the water shortage and the situation there, and the contaminated water that they're dealing with. And Lord, we pray that you would bring a solution far more quickly than what is anticipated. Lord, we pray for our world. We live in a world of so many refugees. People who have been forced from their homes because of war or violence, threats uncertainty. Lord, we pray that you would protect them. They would find places to settle that would be good for them. We pray that you would bring an end to the war and the opposition that have made being a refugee a necessity. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Myanmar. We thank you for the peaceful elections and for uh, more openness to Christians there. We pray that this will open doors to witness more and more of who you are and of your grace and mercy. Help the Christians to live in a spirit of love and compassion and forgiveness. The spirit of Christ. Father, help us to continue to have ears open to you. Help us, Father, to, to want for ourselves what you want for us. Thank you for hearing our prayers today. 
We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. to invite the ushers forward now as we give back to God from all that he has given to us.
This is the beginning of Holy Week, and so there are some special things happening this week. A couple of inserts in your bulletin about that. Uh, if you're going to be around Thursday night, we have a Monday Thursday service at 7. You might be thinking, I don't know what that is. Uh, it is a service to think through the last night of Jesus' life before the cross. There's a, a great deal of symbol and uh, things that we do as a part of the service that I think are very striking. And then on Friday, we are hosting a Journey to the Cross, which is uh, in, the, in the church gym here. From 10 to 6, you can come anytime you want, stay as little or as, as long as you want. And there are different parts of that. And we've created some new things from the last time we did this. But just walking through the, the last day of Jesus' life leading up to the cross in the tomb. And the next Sunday, different six schedule all together. 7.45, a baptism service. Breakfast that follows. Worship at 10. And you see information in the bulletin about donating things for the breakfast. And if you're interested in being baptized next week, have a class on Tuesday. And there's information about that as well. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.